Bob Scott. But for those of you who might not know uh, Bob Scott, I, I need to tell you that for almost uh, 20 years, he's been a mentor and spiritual father to me. But if you're holding that against him, let me tell you the other side of the story. And that is when you look at the chronology that's on the insert this morning uh, of the events that have led us uh, through the Holy Spirit to this location and the places we've gone from this location into the world Um, The Holy Spirit has used Bob in a mighty way, and so in a moment I know that uh, along with me you'll be eager to hear what God is bringing through him to us today. But as we prepare for that, would you follow after me as we join in that ancient confession of faith and call to action that is the Shema. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Be seated, please. Well, how much fun is this? Uh, Really good to be with you. I... uh... I love this place because I'm always with family here. I uh, recognize a baby over here as being the great-grandchild of a Methodist minister that I knew and how pleased he would be that uh, that child is sitting here this morning. That's kind of what our church is about, isn't it? When David asked me to do this and asked me what scripture I wanted to use, I immediately thought of a comment that was made to me 20 years ago, and I think it's providential. Buckner Fanning, who many of you know is founding pastor of Trinity Baptist Church here in town, had been asked to speak soon after our opening. And I was showing him through this sanctuary, and I was explaining to him that the stained glass from our old sanctuary had been transported to the upper gallery of this sanctuary. And he turned to me and said, well, Bob, those are your Joshua stones, aren't they? And so we are turning to chapter 4 of Joshua today, where the story is about God delivering the Israelites finally into Canaan. And they have come through all of this ordeal that we know from our childhood stories to this place that is on the banks of the Jordan. We're told that the Jordan was in flood stage. That meant that the snow melt had filled up beyond the banks of the river and spilled over where the the width is some one mile across. And now they have to cross, and God says this. He says, take the Levites, the priest, raise the ark on your shoulders, and step into the water. And I thought, well, how many times in the last 20 years have we been asked to do that? And what does God do? Well, he does the same thing he did with the Red Sea. He parts the waters, and we're told that the waves are piling up on one side, the river's flowing down, and the nation of Israel passes through on dry ground. And then God says, one man from each tribe, go back into the river, to the dry ground, and pick up a stone. Bring the stone to this side, and raise a pile of stones. So in future generations, when people ask, what happened here? You say, this is where God parted the waters and the Israelites passed on dry ground. So that they will know the power of the hand of God and revere him. 
That's the reason for the stones. So this morning, this is not a memorial service or a history lesson. This is about the journey we have taken as a community with our living God who has taken us from another place to this place, how we got here and where we are going next. So join me the next few moments for that journey. First, what you really need to know is that uh, we really didn't know what we were doing when we started all this. Uh, I would confess that the project we had in mind was much different. We were very happy where we were on Broadway, loved that church. But it got to the point where we were like the old woman that had too many children in the shoe. Uh, they came in one day and said, you know, we're thinking about putting bunk beds in our nursery. And I thought, gee, that doesn't sound like such a great idea. Maybe we need to do something about this. And so we started looking, and, and we decided that we would try to expand. And in that long narrative list of the chronology of our journey, you will see one step at a time, many of them in the wrong direction. But after about four years of traveling in the desert, we had a meeting. On October 16, 1971, we met at night in the sanctuary on Broadway, and the place was packed. We had good-hearted people on both sides rising and saying, we need to stay, or we need to move. And finally, in the midst of all of that, an older gentleman that was seated about over there in the other sanctuary stood and he said, I've lived my life in this sanctuary. My, my family has always sat on this pew because this is where the good breeze used to come through the window. I didn't always have air conditioning. He said, I'm over 80 now and I was on the cradle roll of this church and the time has come to move. He said, I love this church. It's where we have, have all of the events of our lives have been celebrated here. But the time has come to move so other people can receive from God what we have received from God in this place. There wasn't a lot of conversation after that. We talked some among ourselves, and then a vote was taken. And it was overwhelmingly in favor of the move. And God picked us up and moved us from that place to this place. And in thinking about the power of the hand of God in changing our direction and our choice, what comes through very clear is that he used this gentleman as a means of grace, as a blessed to be a blessing where the grace of God flowed through him to us. That's the theme of this journey. Well, the morning after the vote, I remember a little bit of the uh, dog catches car feeling about, oh great, now what do we do? I really didn't need to be worried because God had been planning that part of the journey for a long time as well. He had people of great competence and great passion waiting that had been waiting for 20 years to carry that burden. And they did it beautifully. Everywhere we looked and needed help, we found it in our congregation. The contractor was here. One of the architects was here. They knew us well. But we needed to bring the stained glass from the other church. We found people interested and knowledgeable about stained glass. We needed to design the themes that you see in the new stained glass. People did that. 
People designed the kitchen that had designed the kitchen for Luby's Cafeteria. We didn't know anything about that. We had bond lawyers. Probably my favorite committee was the committee for the new playground for our children's area. We asked ourselves, well, who would know more about that than anybody else? And, of course, we went to a group of young mothers and said, would you like to design a playground? They researched it. We had the safest and best playground we could have possibly have had. There were over 180 people participating in various phases of the design of this project. And it opened 20 years ago. It opened with 2,800 people in attendance. The sanctuary, to give you some idea, holds 1,285 people, including the choir. It opened on 13 acres that which we were able to buy with cash because we'd started the other project. It opened to 87,000 square feet of beautiful space. It opened, and soon after, we were able to pay off ahead of time the mortgage because people joined us and brought a lot of money with them. And we were able to double the attendance in a very short time. But I would share with you that I've, as I've thought about this and what we've done the last 20 years, it's clear to me that while that's a, an important event in the lives of most of us, it is just the beginning of the story in a way. Because what we did in, in building this place, we were calling it a launching pad. This is where we would send people forth, but we had no idea what that would look like. I was raised in a very small church in Oklahoma. And I knew what God looked like. I knew what worship of God was supposed to be. You went dressed like this every Sunday morning. You sat in a pew. A choir came, in my case, 10 or 12 people, in robes, singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, every Sunday. It apparently really appealed to God in Pitcher, Oklahoma. And the pastor then got up in a robe spoke from the pulpit while the organ played, you were taught never to raise your hands above your belt line because that's what the Pentecostals did down the road. <laughs> I knew who God was, and I knew what you were supposed to do and what I was supposed to do. So a year after we get moved in, we are blessed with a, a new good shepherd. David McNitsky comes to our church. And I get a call, uh, Reverend Magnitsky uh, isn't going to be using that pulpit we built. Uh, he's going to be out uh, front, and we need to build uh, something for him. I said, you mean like one of those Miss America runway kinds of things? And, and that's what we have. And so we come, and we see David in a suit, and we see him out in front, and we see him speaking great sermons to us about God. And you know what happens? Jesus shows up. And then three years later, we're having a healing service at the church, stepping out on the edge. And at the end of the service, at night in this sanctuary, there's a line of folks lined up here. And there are healing prayers being said. And people start falling down. And you might be interested in knowing this. The reason there's a space here initially 
is that we were told that in the Methodist discipline, it was prescribed that there had to be enough space between the, the row in front and the altar to accommodate the laying down of a man. I said, yeah, like that's ever going to happen in our church. David and I are standing back behind the altar that night, and there are 14 people, including some of our associate pastors, on the ground. And I said, you're not in picture Oklahoma anymore. David, what's going on here? And he said, you know, Bob, I'm not sure, but I know this. We should never deny the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit showed up, too. Shortly thereafter, we started a new service down the hall in what was supposed to be our hospitality center where we all got together for coffee on Sunday morning because Methodists know how to do that really well. That's where we have community. But we started a new service called New Heights. They don't know how to get up. They didn't get the message about dressing up. They come in flip-flops and shorts. And by the way, they don't have a pipe organ. They have drums and cymbals. And you know what happens? Jesus shows up. Shortly thereafter, Scott Hare comes forward and he said, You know, I feel called to start a coffee shop in the wilderness about 25 miles up by Bolverde. And David calls and says, We need to do some due diligence on this. And the, the finding and writing of the due diligence committee, which is on the wall of the loft, says this. This coffee shop idea makes no economic sense. But we feel that the Holy Spirit is involved, and none of us want to be the ones to stand in its way. Not only did we open a coffee shop, but before long they were worshiping on the back patio, and it got so big they had to move to the hay barn. And after the hay barn, they moved into a school, and now they have their own worship facility, and they worship several hundred. Jesus showed up. But it doesn't stop there. A couple of years ago, we were offered a Hispanic ministry over on San Pedro. You've heard of Asbury. has a Hispanic pastor who we have made a member of our church family. And you know what happens? Jesus shows up. There is an addiction ministry that we have become involved in, and it meets part of the time at Asbury. I was told this week that we have more 12-step programs meeting under our authority than any place else in town. And you know what? The leader wears glasses with rhinestones and is a terrific guitar player. He knows a lot about the Bible, and Jesus shows up. I tell you this because it has been a personal journey of mine from understanding who God was in a traditional sense to him revealing himself in new and powerful ways. And it's an adjustment on our part, my part, and I think it has to be an adjustment on the part of the family. I've been looking at a statistic, and I want to share it with you this morning. I just came across this. We take attendance every week to see what's going on, how much activity there is. We now take attendance at ten different venues. The sanctuary attendance comprises less than half of our weekly attendance. So if you're thinking, well, 
This is the heart of the church. Yes, it is, but God is growing us beyond this place. And as important as this place is, we are in charge now of God's growth from this place. I told David maybe a better name for the place would have been Alamo Heights Spiritual Rainforest. Because we are not only growing things, but there are some odd things growing that I don't know very much about. We are at a place now where it's harder to have a mission that everyone recognizes as their mission. The strength of growing into this place was not only that God used us as a means of grace, but he used us as a community united behind a common mission. Think Clydesdale horses. They use a special harness to pull that beer wagon. It's called a whipple tree. And it distributes the burden evenly among the horses. So their burden is lighter individually, but their pull is more powerful. And that's what we saw when God says, I'm using you as a means of grace and we're going to do it in community. And now we turn to all of these new things and we're saying, God, what is this community-wide effort that you want us to make. I would suggest to you two things this morning, and I want you to consider this in the weeks ahead while David talks about our future. We have seen the the hand of God work powerfully in us in this way. We have been used as means of grace, and we've done it in community. But to do it in community in new ways means that we have to confront this tension between the traditional and things we aren't very familiar with. And we're being asked to do that. And that doesn't mean that you have to learn how to play the drums or the tambourine. But it does mean that we have to see the integrity of God in new places and be willing to embrace it and, in fact, support it. The other thing is that it's pretty clear to me that we are being called to something that we have some familiarity with, but in a more powerful way. And that is reaching out in a different kind of way to our community. Janet Witherspoon was talking about a special faith-walking ministry that is starting this fall. And David will talk about it and some other things. But it has to do with, in the final work making us a missional community. I would confess to you that I have spent much more time in my life studying the ministry of Jesus Christ than doing the ministry of Jesus Christ. We are called on now to take a step towards others that we've been hesitant to take because it was unfamiliar to us. But we can do that We know God is with us, and we have the leadership to do it. It's not up to David. David cannot do this alone. Part of the challenge here is to make sure that we can all move together. Not everybody is going to hear me speak in this place more than others. They're going to be in the other nine venues. So we have to organize that and pull it together. But the idea is this. We live into the life of Christ taking care of the least advantaged in our city. And we do it doing more than just studying the ministry, and we do it more than just writing the check.
we're called on to be supportive and to embrace traditions of God beyond what we know. There was a photographer here years ago by the name of Goldbeck. Some of you probably recognize the name. He made these terrific panoramic pictures of San Antonio. And so you would see this frame laid out, and it was actually as though you were sitting on top of our uh, Tower of the Americas, and this camera went all around the city like this. So you could see every bit of it. When I started off in my little church, I think I was looking at one frame. And God has said, Bob, I'm bigger than that. I'm this large. And then he said, I'm this large. And I'm this large. And he has shown me and he has shown us things that I didn't know were godlike, and they are. Jesus is there. So in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about how we can better support those growing edges of God that we see and we're living into. We should do this with boldness because we have been blessed and we're living a blessing and we've always been a church living on the edge. Over a hundred years ago, people went to the edge of San Antonio on what was then called River Road, Broadway, and raised a tent. And that is our heritage. We later moved into a building on Broadway and we were there a long while preparing ourselves for something larger and God brought us together to this place and immediately said, but the real reason you're here is to live beyond this place. So whether you think about it as a rainforest or a greenhouse, think about God growing things in our midst and what you might do as part of that growth. Let me leave you this morning with one story, because it speaks to what I think we are called to do. There are an awful lot of reasons always not to accept the challenge. This church community with good leadership has always stepped up, though. There was an older man, a Methodist minister, that retired years ago and was in our congregation, a lovely man that cared for people in a very deep way. In later life, he was bedridden, and he couldn't get around to the hospitals and everything as he had for many years. But from his bedside every morning, he called five widows that were housebound. Even at the end of his life, he had a ministry doing good for God. I don't know what each of us can do, but it's real clear to me that we can do something. And that's going to be the theme for the next few weeks. Thank you so much for all you've done already. On a personal note, Nora and I moved here 40 years ago and knew not a soul. The friendships we now have that enrich our lives so much, so many of them find root in this congregation. So I say this morning, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen.